0: Welcome to The Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly/slash the Nat and Sarah Show to download your three step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode. And get ready to take action on your inspirations.
0: Okay, today we continue the conversation with a really inspiring woman. But before we begin, a lot of you have been listening to my voice and might think that I've, you know, transitioned, but I haven't. This voice is like <laughs> just some crazy Darth Vader um, allergies since coming back to Australia. So I wasn't going to say anything about my voice, but I thought I would just pre frame that a little bit. So um, now let's get on to what's really exciting because the woman that we get to speak to today has experienced much of what life has to offer. She grew up in Canada and then she landed in Australia in 98 with $300 in her pocket. Yet she somehow went on to create, build and scale seven businesses across two countries. She's won awards such as the New South Wales Telstra Young Business Woman of the Year and Small Business of the Year, as well as the BRW Fast 100 list for her successes. Yet somehow, Andrea Culligan ended up in an ashram in Cambodia. She traveled for two years in India and Bangalore. She started a whisk in LA, as you do. She sang in bars in Nashville and worked with meditation specialists in Vietnam as her retort. So I guess you could call this a version of finding yourself. And now she's settled into Sydney as partner within Deloitte Private, where she uses her private experience to help fast growth scaling businesses limit the risk of failure. So clearly, Andrea, you pack a punch. And I'm so intrigued, like really, to find mm-hmm. out how you've honed such diverse life experiences into now helping other people. So welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, I'm just, like I told Andrea, um, this is amazing because... The, the podcast reach has reached a place where this is somebody who I've never met in person before, but one of our amazing contributors said, Hey, you've got to speak to Andrea. She's got something to say. So thank hmm. you. Hats off to you, Marie Doyle, one of your amazing friends, um, who, um, put your hat in the ring. So yeah, look, you have a very adventurous spirit. So when you left Canada to brave the big Island of Australia, Were your hopes and dreams for what was to come anything like what it ended up being?
2: Such a good question. Um, So this is gonna sound a little bit wankery as I start off, but um, hopefully by the end of this story, you'll realize I'm not, and it's just a place of gratitude. But I'm currently sitting in Sydney, Australia, in my office in one of the most successful, fastest growing consulting firms in the world in a senior leadership position overlooking the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge. Um, hmm. And that is so far from where I started. And I, I only uh, started Deloitte about five months ago, prior to that, I've been running my own businesses my whole life. But when I was 15 years old, um, I'm from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, so uh, we're both uh, both Canadian, but uh, I'm from the not nicest city in Canada. You know, it's good to live in, but it's not generally the tourist destination. And And when I was growing up as a teenager, I used to pump gas or pump petrol, uh, you know, full full service petrol stations. And, uh, you know, I was 14, 15 years old working at a petrol station and minus 35 with these grand visions of being a secretary. Um, You know, that's that's what I was going to do. And uh, and I just knew I wanted to do something different. Initially, as a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist. But then I found out it was like 11 years of university and. And the idea of spending another day in high school, let alone university, was just not uh, palatable to me. So, so you know, he, here I was pumping gas, thinking, hey, I'm gonna be a great secretary. So, so I sit here today and you ask me a question, do I think I would be here? Not in a million years did I think this would be my life. Not one chance uh, in, in absolute any planet did I think this would be my life. And every day I'm incredibly grateful uh, for the experiences huh both good, bad, ugly
0: that it's given me. Oh, wow. Now I'm even more interested in that <laughs> formula of how that <laughs> went from pumping gas, petrol. We'll do our best not to speak Canadian. You did say wanker, so you know, we're, we're well <laughs> off into the Aussie sphere, um, yeah. but everybody will get used to our interesting accents. But okay, so basically you had a dream for your life. It all seemed a little bit too hard. However, you did end up on a plane you know, across the world, yeah. ready for an adventure. So you were up for some life. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I look, my father was an incredible and still is an incredible individual. He, um, he had this passion for living and sometimes that landed him in a bit of hot water, but you know, he had this incredible passion for living and he had traveled for many, many years prior to him um, settling down and getting married and having kids. And so so he'd always planted the seed in my mind that there was a big world out there. Um, Mm -hmm. Now I won't go into the details as to why I left Canada. I'm happy to share my own personal journeys, but I guess my preference in life is that those who have other journeys can share them themselves. I'll just wrap Mm -hmm. it up by saying uh, there was enough circumstances within my personal Mm -hmm. sphere that I needed to explore something different. And uh, it, there was a, a, a massive challenge that occurred in my life and my emotional response was to run. Um, and I decided I have dual citizenship. My father's Australian. And so I, uh, I decided to, to buy a plane ticket and, and, you know, this is the, the first lesson I was say to people don't always trust experts because I I'll never forget walking to the travel agency and saying, Hey, uh, I want a ticket to the city in Australia. That's closest to the beach and and she sent me to brisbane um and for those who are listening that are not australian brisbane is the city that is furthest from the beach uh <laughs> much to everyone's surprise so so you know that, that was it and, and then i three weeks later i got a plane and then left and because i had dual citizenship i didn't need the visa additional cash to to get on the plane so so yeah just go to the plane and i made a decision that i was going to be on holidays for three months and i was meant to be going with my best friend at the time. And, and about, you know, two weeks before she pulled out and said, oh, you know, wow. I don't want to go. And this this is in 1998 when it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't as cool to, to travel on your own. It wasn't as safe. And, you know, I'm from a relatively small city where it was this huge, big deal. My dad was like, this is awesome. Um, but, you know, <laughs> everyone else was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're going to get on a plane. And, and, you know, you don't know anyone. And my grandmother lived in Perth, but I'd only met her for like a minute. 10 years before that and it's so you know there was nothing on the other end of this plane that I was that I was going to and I, the only intention was I had no plan I had 300 bucks and I was like I'm just going to go for 3 months and I can work as soon as I get there. So that was the wow. that's the short that's the short version.
0: <laughs> now that was good because I'm getting I want to ask you later um, in our conversation about risk because I can see that you have a tolerance for the unknown which is really interesting. However, I am curious that when you first moved to Australia, and I don't know the time frame, but you, you began to create, build, and scale businesses. And so, you know, from this girl that was doing something much bigger than probably anything she'd ever planned, like how did you guide your choices when choosing projects or business ideas? Oh, uh, look, I wish... <laughs> I wish that this
2: answer would sound formulaic and intelligent and structured, but, but look, I'm a bit of a trial and error person, and I also have a firm belief that naivety can sometimes be your greatest gift. Um, I started uh, working in Sydney. It's a bit of a funny story. So in, in 90, uh, 98 and early 99, I actually traveled around Australia. So I guided kayaking trips out of Southwest Australia. I sang in bars in Cooper Pedy. I guided whale watching tours out of hobby Bay, and I even lived in a pub and ran a pub uh, in Cape York in a town of 60 people. I was a third woman in town, um, which was very interesting and taught me a whole world of new words to say no. But um, anyways, I, I ended up in Sydney in, in mid to late, uh, late 1999. And... Uh, this was pre Olympics. And so I went into a recruitment agency, which I had never done before in Canada. I had just gone and applied directly to these companies. And I said, I was looking for a job and uh, they gave me a job straight away because in 1999, they just needed recruitment, uh, recruitment consultants that could hire people because they were hiring so many people for the Olympics um, that were happening in 2000. So I became a recruitment consultant. And then after I really got excited about this tech undertone uh, and these jobs boards that were popping up all over the place and this dot-com boom. So I went and joined a a jobs board uh, called Top Jobs on the Net, which was a company that had come out of the UK. And I was engaged to do some of the account management and also to start a jobs board along the side of that that was specifically for university students. Now, two things happened that kind of shifted the, the lifeline here. First thing was I was made redundant and it was bought out by SEEK. Uh, the company was bought by SEEK, which is one of the largest jobs boards here in Australia. And that was actually the initial acquisition they did to then uh, catapult the rest of the company. And they bought it to do the executive and graduate space. Now, whilst I was made redundant, I went out on a date, on an online date, and uh I went out with this guy named Michael. And that night, Michael said, uh, "You know, we both agreed there was no real chemistry there. But we actually just wanted to hang out and remain friends. And the next morning, I got an email from Michael. I just said, "Hey, had a really good time, but you seem like the kind of girl that would do this kind of thing." And in the email, there was an attachment, and the attachment was from SOCOG, which is the Sydney Olympic Committee, which was an opportunity and an invitation to be a fire breather for the opening ceremonies for the Olympics. And I was
0: like, fire, "Hell yeah, fire breather! That's correct." Oh so, my gosh! <laughs> so.
2: Myself, along with 290 other people, learnt every weekend and twice a week on how to be fire breathers and, and according to this choreography uh, for the opening ceremonies for the next three months. And I decided I wasn't going to work. I was just going to have some fun. Um, and I did this and then went to almost every single Olympic game that I could. It was, it was such a powerful time to be here in Sydney. Um, wow. And through that, so so a bit random, but then the second thing that happened is that there was a couple of guys starting an online community for university students, and they needed someone to come in and hustle and look at this one thing that I was taught was a sense of hustle. You know, My dad was in the car business for 40 years, 50 years, and uh, I, I watched him grow up you know, growing up, I was on the car lots with him, I worked at the car dealerships. There was this massive sense of hustle. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Oh, you know, I can go and sell job ads on a jobs board. And uh, so I started as soon as the Olympics, kind of halfway through, I started with this really small startup, which was myself and one other guy and two silent partners with this online community for university students that was starting a jobs board for university <laughs> students. It was the first of its kind. We were building you know, LinkedIn for university students and it was the first ever free email service in Australia. So that was my first, uh, I suppose, foray into what this entrepreneurship game could look like. And then three wow. months later, my only other colleague, uh, unfortunately, decided it wasn't a path he wished to pursue, and they offered me his share, and I became wow. a shareholder within that business. And within six months, um, we had the dot-com crash, and I had to learn the power oh. of the power of the pivot. And uh, and there, from there on in. The hunger, the drive, the hustle, um, I suppose kind of takes it into the next phase of that story. But that, that, it's, it's kind of an interesting wow. thing how these things shift our lives to, to get to this point.
0: And, and thank you for sharing these stories because sometimes I think um, it tells everything. And the fact that I love that you said, I can hustle, I can do that. And there's, I just get this sense of a yes-ness to you that you're willing to say yes and figure it out later which is awesome. And I don't know if you know this actually, but so this is actually called the Nat and Sarah show, what you're on. Um, So the other half, Nat, did you know that she competed in the Sydney games? I did. I did. That full circle moment, like just knowing that you were the fire breather. I have to tell her about that. (laughs) I didn't know. Um, So life has a full circle sense to it. And um, yeah, isn't that amazing? So, okay. So basically from pivoting, powerful pivoting, and um hustle seven businesses later somehow yeah. you decide to exit your life in a sense to discover another part of the world so y- what has you leave like how does that happen
2: yeah look the story could it, it, there's a book in there somewhere but l- let me give the statistics <laughs> it's easier um to be able to just give you the, the bullet points and then that gives you the context so over 17 years, I started seven businesses in two countries, both Australia and Canada. Um, we operated across three continents. So we operated in the UK, the US, and Australia. Um, we did some work in Singapore every once in a while. We were a multimillion-dollar business. Uh, every one of them was at least you know, a, a multi-million-dollar venture. Um, I won the Telstra Business Award, as you said, the Telstra Businesswoman of the, U- of the Year Award, the BRW List, and we had about 60 different industry-related awards. And that's all the nice stuff, right? However, I also sold two companies. And during one of those exits, uh, I was sued for negligence during due diligence that went all the way to the high court and they lost, but they also declared bankruptcy and I lost all costs. In a similar time frame, I had a business partner buyout that went a bit south. Um, I had internal mutiny. I had my entire team turn against me. There's about 40 people across uh, Australia and then another five in, in Canada. Um, then I had a nervous breakdown in 2009. And then I had some internal ongoings that led to voluntary administration and liquidation in 2013. And look, there's, there's a multitude of, of funny and, you know, soul ripping stories that, that kind of fall through that. Uh, but that, that's the easiest way to describe why did I need to, I suppose, take some time out. And, you know, I think the hustle, I absolutely have a sense of hustle, but sometimes, and you know, this was a great lesson to learn that it was to the detriment. Have I still got you? Yes.
0: I'm just reflecting on that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so, So, yeah. yeah. And so appreciate that you sharing the whole story because like you said, the hustle has another side Mm -hmm. to it. And um, clearly having a nervous breakdown is cause for reevaluation and, So what had you, so we did, you did say this quite clearly that in some ways coming to Australia initially was getting away from something, fleeing in some ways. Were you needing to really just get out of this life and figure, figure it out again? Was that what, did you go to Vietnam first? Was that, was that your first thing you did to
2: piece back together? When I initially left, when I initially left Canada in 1998, I was absolutely running away from something and I thought Australia would have the answer. And I think this, is, this has been a trend a few times now that I finally realize is not necessarily the best approach, but um, it, it does help me learn things along the process. So in 2013, I was married at the time. I kind of did the "Eat, Pray, Love" thing a little bit backwards in uh, I I, left I with was going
0: to say. Has she read <laughs> this book? But
2: yes, OK. <laughs> left with the husband, came back with that one. But um, I left Australia in 2013, and my then-husband and I Flew to Canada, we bought a caravan, bought a fifth wheel uh, with the intention of taking just some time off. And I might consult from the trailer on, I had one of the businesses I had was a branding agency and I did a lot of business advisory work at board grows. Board so, but I could do that remotely. So um, flew to Canada, bought this fifth wheel and toured all around Canada, mountain biking, uh, hiking, fishing, swimming. And I slept for probably six months, uh, for you know, for 14 hours a day for about six months. It was just a really, wow. you know, I was, ex- I was absolutely pummeled. Um, and, and we decided before we left, we we're going to sell whatever we had left. You know, this was the, we'd, we'd lost the businesses, we'd lost whatever was left. Um, you know, my ego was completely ripped out. I was trying to figure out where I was and who I was. And You know, people kept saying to me, oh, just go do things that you love. But I had no idea what that was. I had completely lost all sight of an extracurricular life. So here I was in Canada. We did that for six months. And again, a whole other series of situations that had us in these really cool towns in southern British Columbia and northern BC off the coast in the Queen Charlotte Islands, now known as Haida Gwaii. Um, just some really amazingly beautiful situations, but we also wanted to explore other areas. So we camped around Iceland. So we went to Iceland and toured Iceland, ah. did a bit of Europe. Uh, we went to Cambodia and toured around Cambodia, spent some time in Ashram, uh, with, uh, with some yogic gurus, went to Vietnam and worked with a meditation uh, expert who was funnily enough from Toronto um <laughs> of course and uh, of course of course and then um and then also did India so I had a, a business partner that was based in India and we'd done a lot of work on youth unemployment here in Sydney and trying to resolve the issues here in Australia and a very purpose built individual that I really have a huge amount of time and respect for and uh was going over to India for his wedding which you've, if you've ever been to an Indian wedding that is epic uh, and then we ended up deciding to, to tour most of India. So we did, you know, planes, trains, automobiles uh, in India, and also spent some more time in ashrams in the southern, uh, southern India and, and, uh, and really getting to know ourselves. Then came back, skied for a season, which I highly recommend, um, and, then, and then did a tour of all the U.S. And I just started getting really bored, really bored and also really clear. So I also did all the landmark stuff. Um, which a lot of people have a diverse range of opinions about. It helped me get rid of a lot of guilt and shame and fear that I had developed uh, over the loss of the business and some circumstances prior to. And it helped really kickstart the personal growth journey that I wanted to go on. And I read, I think, 60 books and I engaged a coach and a therapist and then just did advisory work and started to get back into the tech space and back into the entrepreneurial space Um, and then through this process of really getting back to know who I was, which was hard, you know, like one of the, one of the steps I had to do was I had to phone, uh, 10 of my closest friends and I had to ask them what they could count on me for. How do I show up? What opportunity they see that I'm missing and what can they not count on me for? And all of my girlfriends are powerhouses. You know, let's use Marie as an example, right? Every one of them owns a business, doesn't take any prisoners, is very clear about who they are, um, you know, happy to provide feedback because it's coming from a genuine place. So this was terrifying, Um, you know, but that's just one of the things that I went through. And and it was so enlightening for me um, to realize that all those things I was really ashamed of about myself um, were actually the things that people wanted to be around. Um, and right. so through this, through this whole process, um, I realized that my then husband and I were going in very different directions. And um, heartbreakingly, we decided to separate as we crossed back over the Canadian border. And, oh, wow. uh, and I spent a beautiful two months in Toronto in the middle of the summertime, which was bliss. I went to, I saw Brian Adams in concert. Uh, I saw The Tragically Hip, their, last, their second last <laughs> concert ever. Like, yeah went to a couple of yeah. baseball games, you know, just really reliving this diversity of myself that I never fit into this bucket of, you know, um, I was an athlete for many years. Then I was, you know, I'm also an adventurer and I'm also a, a super corporate chick and where, where do I fit in? And I realized that how did I don't have to fit into any box. Um, but I realized that that's hard for people to understand. So, um, my husband and I separated and then, um, four months later, we actually went to Burning Man together. Um, <laughs> Uh, which was, yeah, which was hard. And in fact, funnily enough, I, before that I went to an ashram in Quebec and I was there for about two weeks and then I'd had enough and I went straight from that ashram to Vegas (laughs) on my own uh, for eight days, which is far too long. And then I went from Vegas to Burning Man um, where I spent eight days uh, with my, you know, my ex-husband and this really emotional process. And then I came back to Australia for what was supposed to be a minute. And uh, and that's been now two years that I've been back. So, um, wow.
0: So it's kind of recent that you're back.
2: Oh, very, very, very recent. I I got back in uh, September. In fact, this week, two years ago.
0: Yeah. Which, which though, by the speed of your life, two years is actually a long time. You can do a lot of things in two years. Yeah. So within that, I just, so many things were, bouncing around so one of them was ego and what did you learn about ego when you went from a place of um like high flying hustle it it must have just all been happening all the time you I can imagine your phone on your ear all the time to sitting and Mm -hmm. meditating contrast this for me every basically every single thing you just said for me felt like contrast so when you were saying Mm -hmm. ashram in Quebec to Vegas you know everything just felt Mm -hmm. like (laughs) here <laughs> to there. So, so talk to me about contrast a little bit.
2: Yeah, look, I think first of all, I came to terms with, and I, it's probably only even recently that I've come to terms with that it's okay to be all or nothing. It's just understanding where the lines can potentially, they need to blur a bit instead of being hard and fast. Um, you know, I love all out. I love all in. If I, participate in a sport I'm all in if i join a business i'm all in if i'm part of a team i'm all in i cannot half ass it um and and that's again kind of where that h- hustle and drive and determination comes into but you know if you give me a sunday and a rainy day i will not leave my bedroom for the whole day i'll have breakfast in bed i will watch netflix all day i love the all or nothing and i used to really struggle with that and then I just actually it's just who I am and I like the contrast between both and I've become better at being able to transition through very quickly now so through meditation practice you know I can be I do on average between 10 and 11 meetings a day I probably do close to 75 80 hours a week um, and I can run into every meeting and be present in every meeting um, and then walk out of that meeting, run to the next meeting and be present in the next meeting. And, and I think that those are skills that I've developed um, through working in diverse backgrounds and scenarios. And, and then sometimes I also need to just chill out a little bit. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I can tell like, you know, like you're here right now. I really do feel that you're here right now. And so I think that's an amazing gift. And, and thank you for saying presence, you know, being able to gain that and come back because sometimes people have a whole life that they just weren't even there for. So, um, mm. I think that's an amazing distinction. And I want to talk about risk with you because I thought it was so interesting that my perception of reading your story is, wow, this girl can take risks. However, one of the things you help, um, you know, entrepreneurs with now and your work that you do is you help them mitigate risk in some ways. So how do you define risk? And like, describe your relationship to it.
2: Uh, Awesome question. Um, So firstly, I think adversity teaches you an understanding of what life really is. And I'm really incredibly grateful for my adversity journeys. Like, Without failure, there is no success. Full stop. Like there is nothing that helps us succeed at all other than failure, and and people are so afraid of it that they end up not making any decisions at all, or they make decisions out of fear, panic, or ego. And generally, ego drives fear or panic, and hence why, um, you, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier about ego, and and ego drove all of my decisions in a previous life. And I'm not saying I don't have one, right? Like I think that would be an unending journey. And if I sat here and said, yeah, I have no ego, I'm perfect. That would be absolute bollocks. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm aware of it. And I'm aware of when I'm talking from a place of ego or when I'm making a decision out of a place of ego. And those, those decisions made a of place of ego are generally when we are facing fear or when we're facing panic. And neither of those two things drives accurate or solid decisions. R- rarely are they effective. Um, right. So I guess in, in my role, what I love to do is apply experience. I'm not a, uh, you know, homegrown consultant. I get to work with very smart people that bring frameworks and tools in order to take our clients in the right process to expedite that, or, you know, expedite the success and reduce the risk. Um, but I get to apply the founder lens. I get to say okay, what you're about to do, let me tell you what happened when I did that. And and let me tell you how that decision rolls out in a, in a full context when you're thinking about just you. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, so I, I love, like, I love what I do and I love that. I get to apply the experience and the conversation of being able to have direct conversations with business owners and founders in a way that's empathetic, understanding and realistic. Not, oh yeah, this is going to be easy, we'll write a report to make it happen. No, no, no. Let me tell you what really happens. This is going to suck, this is going to hurt, and, and you're going to not like it at all, but it's going to be essential to you actually making this work. So you're going to make your, you know, and, I, and I'm not shy of having those conversations, because in leading to your first statement and question, I realize I'm not curing cancer. Like I have been to the bottom of the barrel Three or four times now, the absolute bottom. This is my third rebuild. I'm lovingly calling this life 3.0, and I'm sure there'll be <laughs> another one, right? the The epitome of reinventing ourselves, reinventing ourselves, in my opinion, is is it's like an essential piece of criteria to your own personal evolution. And uh, as we evolve and reinvent ourselves, it's like you got to tear off skin, and it hurts. It really, really friggin' hurts. But in in order for that new skin to grow over, for that new way of living, that new way of being to happen, you've got to embrace the fact that, you know, life's going to be painful. And if we constantly are in a a place of fear and driving it with our ego, then we don't get to experience it. We just sit in a place of terror instead of growth. You know, and if we, I always like to use the analogy of, you know, I'd like you to think of a stagnant pond. And what does the pond live off of? And it's dying things. That is what the pond lives off of, It's everything stagnant and death. Whereas we think about a running river, a running river that's constantly evolving, adapting, changing. We've got fresh, new living beings that are coming through. And it's probably a crappy analogy, and I'm sure a scientist is going to call me out on it. But um, it's the greatest visualization I have around stagnants being death.
0: I love it. I've actually never heard that before. I was going to say, (laughs) Todd... I was going to say pond scum when you said, what does it live yeah. off of? And, yeah, yeah. And yeah, but there's, a, uh, a, uh, there's like a feeling to that analogy. Like to me, there's that, yeah, the inertia versus the momentum, you know, like that.
2: Yeah.
0: Anyway, when you just, I think it's great actually. And like, we don't have to be scientists to get.
2: Thank God for that.
0: <laughs> what you're dishing out there. And also, um, I love that something you said was great there about, working where you work now, you're able to be everything you are and you don't have to have it all. Like I kind of got that distinction about, um, when we're planning from the outside things that we want to do and we get too realistic about it, we sort of like Mm. drop ourselves out of the game. So for example, if I see your title now, I would drop myself out of the game for X, Y, Z reasons from a business experience perspective. However, what you've just demonstrated is, Hey, this is what you've got that a lot of people don't have Mm -hmm. Um, this kind of, I've been there, done that. I've been at the bottom, I've been at the top and I've rode this wave and I know what it takes. Um, That kind of stuff. Yeah. I I just think that's really encouraging for our community to not um, pull yourself out of the game too early. I think that often happens. It's like, We make up a story about what we can and can't do even before we don't like we don't actually go for it Um, so i just i want to cover three
2: can i cover can i totally interrupt you oh please this 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 part of this puzzle really excites me right so so there's four key things to this in my opinion so firstly the minute we are comfortable with failure none of that shit matters like The minute we get super comfortable with failure and understand its position and purpose in our life, the more we will sit in the uncomfortable situations in order for us to grow and contribute. It is, it's, it's critical, absolutely critical. The the second part is manifesting, which is a lot about what you're, and this is all my opinion. So, you know, take this, but the second component, you talk a lot about manifesting, manifestation, a lot of people consider, and, and I love Joe Dispenza's approach manifestation and really getting clear about what it is but you'll notice that what he focuses on is how we feel in those situations because the energetic reflection of what we feel about our manifestation is actually what will bring it to fruition if we are not incredibly tied to the process of which that manifestation reveals itself then it doesn't matter because all we are manifesting is the way we are going to choose to feel when those situations are revealed, right? So, and that's what manifestation in my experience and in my approach has always been about. And I use manifestation when I work with founders. I make them meditate before we do workshops. I make them do <laughs> visualizations. They think I'm batshit crazy. Um, so so those are the two, and then there's, there's two more. The first, which are kind of stories. The first one is imposter syndrome. So, you know, I get it daily here. I am the only female partner in my area of the business across the country. I am the only one who doesn't have an accounting background. It's very rare that you'll find anyone in a consulting firm that doesn't have a consulting background or a foundation from which they started. And every room I walk into, the most intelligent people in the world are sitting there. Like I sit in meetings with legit rocket scientists absolute (laughs) rocket scientists, right? The guys who are creating the entire space environment in Adelaide. I have meetings with those guys and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? And I have said to so many people, like, I feel like every once in a while, like, what am I doing here? And every person I speak to, no joke, every single person I speak to, even the CEO will say, we all feel that way. And I actually find right. it's important right. to have a healthy balance of that that doesn't restrict your actions because it gives you the humility to listen. Yeah. And it's kind of important. And that brings me to the fourth ring, which is awesome. a story.
0: Thank you for that. that was awesome. yeah. Yeah.
2: So the fourth one is a story where we did an exercise at a conference uh, last week with all the partners. And it, I was having one of those moments of like, why am I here? I'm in the room with the smartest people. This is amazing. Da, 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 da. And we had to go and all contribute to writing a children's storybook. Now there's a thousand of us and they gave us a, you know, a a, a headline of a story and there was probably 50 of them in the room, uh, different story options you could choose from and you could write one line and then someone else could come and write one line and we were going to collaborate to create these children's storybooks. And one example is I went over and I joined a group. Firstly, it was all men. And I thought I'm going to go in and I jokingly came over and I said, I'm going to start to even out the diversity quota in this conversation. And we all kind of laughed and they were all standing around completely perplexed. Um, and they were all from the tax tax team. So like brilliant (laughs) individuals, brilliant individuals. And I rock up and I'm like wearing a yellow dress and I'm like, Oh, what's the story about? And they had been deliberating for five minutes over the next line of the story, which started with an owl was on a tree. So these were storybooks that we were writing for kids. The second line they had come up with in 10 minutes, and then he moved to the end of the branch. That was their line. That was what they contributed. I said, oh, do you guys mind if I write the third line? They said, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. So I come in, and I'm like, and then the branch started to move and glow and shake, and the fairies started to dance around the owls. And I went on this big tangent. And I said, oh, thanks, guys. And I handed them back the text And they looked at me, and they just went, whoa. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like, what do we do with that? Yeah, and it was such a great moment of
2: understanding the need to have respect for each different type of persona and attribute and capability that comes within a team. You know, if we had all accountants writing those books, then it would all be owls on branches that eventually move down to the bottom of the tree. If we have people in tax and people in creative and people who are creative in tax or people who are rocket scientists coming to these, in this, this whole space. And we get to see what we all bring to this table. And it's, it was such a defining moment. I literally said in my head of saying, now I know why I'm here. Now I feel yes. right with why I'm here. And, um, and it was really special. So those are four things, which is, you know, failure is necessary to success. Manifesting is about how we, Feel not about the process. Imposter syndrome is everywhere. It's whether or not we choose to buy into it and use it for humility or hindrance. And the storybook about collaboration across all different things really important. So those are kind of four cool things around. You know, you just you just talked about feeling a bit in this environment. Um,
0: Perfect. It's important. And that's the message that I want um, our community to end with and and like to reflect on and percolate on because. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what you want to do because those four things are part of when you get that and when you move through it, and and I'll probably bring in the ego one that was really good too, about how you're not getting rid of your ego, you're just noticing when it's present, when it's there and when it's making decisions, like that, Mm. all that together is I think where our community's at because people are really learning to access the dreamer, the little kid, mm. again, and, and inside of that space, um, and it comes up the fears, and I would say imposter is massive, um, mm. and feeling like I don't belong, or who am I to think I could do that, and all this kind of stuff, and then realizing that it takes a village, like it takes a whole bunch of different kind of people in order to come together, and your unique contribution is what is needed, and that that'll always be true. So it's beautiful, beautiful. And I don't. I have other questions, but if you're happy with it, I'd like to your eight to ten or eighteen to twenty meetings that you have a day um, in the near future, because I I want to ask you about overwhelm. I I want to ask you a couple more things, but Andrew, I just because I think it was really impactful, and I want to thank you so much for today.
2: Total pleasure, total. And I should just finish with in in, in my yes. Uh, with regards to failure, you know, losing my business um, was one of the most traumatizing experiences uh, that I could ever imagine. I would have emotionally processed. What is hilarious. It is, it is the number one reason why founders want to work with me. The number one. And, and I realized that the important way of me building approachability and um, and and respect was I had to lead with my failures versus lead with my wins. So it's a wow. really important shift, you know. Once I got comfortable with failure, I started to share it, people were like, "Oh, so you actually know what risk is? You actually know what to do and not to do?" I've done both sides of the fence, right? And uh, and and they're like, "I want to work with someone who knows how it feels, because you know how it feels, not just what to do." And that was it. It was an interesting response. Oh. So again, you know, failure is critical um, to our success.
0: Wow. But I'm getting a lot from that. When I don't respond, that's what's happening. My cells are <laughs> realigning. So just so ah, you know, cool. um, and and I love that when it's happening in the moment and um, yeah, thank you for being a, a teacher today in this space and, and just being able to talk so openly about, your whole story, because yeah, I agree that all of your story is what's um, really impacting me and this community. So I appreciate you so much. And um, thank you so much for for inviting me.
1: Oh, pleasure. Totally my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group
0: When you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.